I read this statement uh, from a, th- this was from the prayer of the day yesterday from the common book of prayer during the week of e- following Easter. This is just part of this prayer. By his death, he has called us to life. And by his love, uh, so that by his love, he may raise us to joys eternal. That's our prayer. That's our hope in the resurrection, that resurrection actually touches our lives. So, amen. I want to I talk to us this morning for a little bit out of, uh, uh, I, you know what? I just realized in my notes I'm going to have to fix that. It's John 20 and 21. I think what I sent you was Luke. It's John 20 and 21. I'm not going to have time to read out of those texts, but I do encourage you, if you want to come back and read those stories, feel free to do that. But it's from John 20 and 21 that we're going to be looking at this morning. And, I, you know, there, there is a reality in our lives in which when we proclaim the resurrection, a lot of times we have a difficulty with it because uh, sometimes we get caught into what I'll call the... the uh, the trap of our understanding versus the reality of the hope that we've been given. So many times I've heard the resurrection being taught as something that we want to know the facts of so that we can believe. And the power of the resurrection is that actually God meets us in the impossible, therefore we believe. Hopefully this will make sense to you as we continue to move through these through these passages. But John 20 and 21, forgive me, Angie, I, I just recognized that, that I was using a template and didn't change the chapter, the, the book. But Jesus, this is a title, Jesus' response to the inconceivable and how the resurrection meets the impossible. What happens for us many times is we have events that occur in our lives that become defining events. Um, that I want to say they stand tall and they cast a very long shadow. And it doesn't take long. I could, I could bring up names. For instance, if I were to bring up a, historical, a couple historical names, Bonnie and Clyde. There's a certain image that comes to our mind, right, pretty quickly, whether it's something that we've read about or heard about. My point being that that image that comes to mind generally has to do with, unfortunately, the worst of their story, um, but the truth is we really don't know that much about them. Most of us don't. Um, and, and that's why I say some stories can cast a very long shadow and stand very tall. And, and you know, it's interesting. It, when I bring that name up, the only thing that would come to mind for many of us is, oh, yeah, they robbed banks and, and funeral homes and killed people and ran from the law and were finally gunned down. But did you know that Clyde's motivation was never to be a bank robber? His his motivation was that he wanted to retaliate against the prison that had so severely and brutally treated him in East Texas, ignoring the multiple sexual abuse that occurred to him during the time that he was there. Now, I'm not trying to justify him. I'm trying to say there's more to a story, usually, than what we see. And, and the reason that this dynamic is, is so important is, watch this, because this is where it catches us personally. We all have stories. Now, we're, I'm not trying to call out Bonnie and Clyde in the room or on the call. Um, what I'm trying to say is this. We had these places in our lives, 
that the story that's occurring in our life begins to fill up the space of our life, almost consuming. I'm 12 years old when I was told that my mother had, uh, by this point now I've learned in my adulthood that she'd been ill for a number of years, but it was at 12 years old when they finally decided to share it with the family when I was 12. And I watched my mother slowly die for the next six years. That has, a, that has something that begins to shape things in you to the point that when I was uh, like 17, 18 years old, I not only had a chronic illness that had come into my body, I'd come to believe that I wasn't really going to live that long. You see, stories in our life can begin to cast a certain shadow on the imagination that we have for ourselves, and yet we read these scriptures that say, now to him he was able to do immeasurably more than, than we could think or ask or imagine, and our problem is that our imagination is often defined by the stories of our lives, by the pains of our lives. Oh, uh, there are times when betrayal maybe has touched our lives and left us with this not just, not just a nagging doubt, but sometimes even, even a real severe doubt about whether or not we could actually ever trust someone with our life, especially when we've decided to trust individuals around us that we believe were some of the most trustworthy and found them to be betraying you, especially when that happens in the church, and unfortunately it's happened many times. Or how about, how about living a life as best as you possibly could live, being the exemplary kind of individual that everyone would say, there's a model young man, and finally in one moment of difficulty, you make a really, really stupid mistake bad decision, that years later, when an individual meets you, that's the only thing they can identify you with. In case you're wondering, all of those are my stories. And what I want to talk to us about this morning is this. You see, we can interpret our walk with Jesus as something of which we're trying to say, let me try to dream up something. Let me try to make myself dream up something new. Or we can begin to say, wait a minute, Jesus, can he meet me in the place that, well, that I couldn't conceive how he could meet me? Why would he in my worst mistake? And more specifically, how the resurrection impacts that reality. See, we just celebrated Easter. And this is where, I, well, this is the two, two things I was trying to tie together here a little while ago is that, see, often we rehearse and discuss the facts of the resurrection. You know, he died, but he's still alive. And we, we're, we're just like, oh, my goodness. You know, we talked about this last week. The stone was rolled away, not so that Jesus could get out, but that's so we could see in. I mean, there's something that happened there that just blows our mind. And oftentimes you say, well, you know, you just got to believe it. Well, you know, let me just throw something out at you. I read something this last week, just as a side thought, sidebar note. But it's almost been confirmed. Uh, it's now gone through being confirmed two times. And to my understanding, they're going to try to run it through one more time. And by that point, science is going to say the fifth element of physics has been discovered. Just happened over here in Illinois. 
big old superconductor. They, they got to fire that thing up. It takes a long time for it to even get happening. They take these little, you know, atoms and smash them together and all kinds of things. And I don't know that much about physics. But the point being that little W. Boston is there wiggling around, and he's not supposed to be wiggling around when it, all this is all done. And they said, oh, my goodness, guess what? We just found, we just discovered the fifth element. If that's true, it changes everything. Here's what that means, by the way, in case you're intrigued in knowing. Scientists said we know four elements of physics. Gravity. Put something in the air, it's going to fall. You know, got all these, you know, these, well, I can't name off the other three. Somebody's been, went to science school, could tell me. I can't. Yeah, that's science school. <laughs> my, son, my son graduated from school of science at IU. You should be able to quote them. Anyway, so we got this number five. Here's, you know, what the fifth one is going to be doing. It's, it's, revealing how dark matter that is beyond understanding in the universe, they've never known how it connects to the universe, and they're saying if this is true, they're gonna sh it's going to reveal somehow how that's connected. Here's why I think this is a little mind-boggling. Watch this. Just because we didn't understand it didn't mean that it didn't exist, right? Watch. Ready? The understandable is not the goal. And I, I don't, you know, I believe we can believe in God and his presence beyond a reasonable doubt. But my point is that when we look at the resurrection, science isn't going to explain the unexplainable. We have a God who exists in elements that we've never known or understood. And it's not hard for him. All of a sudden, we've just discovered, oh, that's there. Yeah, I've been there all along. I'm able to move in and out of it without any difficulty. So much so I can walk into locked rooms. And tombs that have stones in front of them. So the unexplainable and the impossible are not the same thing. The power of the resurrection is based on the fact that the power of God to make the impossible possible in our life, that's the power of the resurrection. When I say, oh, my goodness, Lord, the power of the resurrection in the kingdom of God is maybe, well, maybe like this. Maybe there's another element by which you operate, and it's by ease for you to come and usher peace in the midst of conflict. Oh, wait, that's what we believe. So four stories in John 20 and 21, and I want, to, I, want to, I want to just put my finger on those because in those four dynamic stories, what we're going to see is Jesus encountering four lives, and I want you to notice something. I'm going to repeat this a couple of times. Jesus doesn't call them to the facts of the cross and the empty tomb. He simply encounters them with the power of the resurrection. And there's a difference. But that the power of the resurrection to each of them was not about a fact or a mind game to convince themselves of something. It was the present Jesus meeting them where they were in grief, fear, doubt, shame, and he speaks life. And it changed everything, and that, beloved, is good news. Is there an amen? Amen? See, we all have... Those places, I said that earlier, stand tall, cast a long shadow. And those shadows begin to try to define what we think is possible and not possible. The power of the resurrection, beloved, is the God who brings good news into those shadows and proclaims what's true and real. Let me touch on these stories. I want to, I want to go over them briefly. Ready? We're going to go like 20 and 21. Uh, the, the, the passage, by the way, this week was in specifically supposed to be on Thomas, but as I looked at him, I'm like, oh, my goodness, look at this. Look at this. It's incredible. 
John 20, Mary is in the garden. And she's consumed with grief. She's seen an empty tomb. She has no imagine, or excuse me, no imagination other than death because of what she's seen. And so in the face of her grief, she's overwhelmed, and she, she sees someone, the gardener, which we looked at last week, beautiful word, word isn't it, that God comes back into the garden. Oh, the kingdom has been, this new kingdom has, been, uh, has begun. And so Jesus comes near Mary, and she says, you know, if you carried him away, tell me. And Jesus, by the way, Jesus' response to her, um, interesting. He doesn't come to her and say, uh, Mary, do I need to remind you that there's an empty tomb behind you? He just simply speaks her name. The disciples are up in a room with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Why is that in John 20? Well, what they did to Jesus, they're probably going to do to us. They are in fear. Jesus appears to them and proclaims, peace be with you. He's not scolding them for their fear. What's wrong with you? Some of you have already heard that, that I've been raised. I told you this was going to happen. Come on, people. How long do I have to be? What he does is he proclaims shalom, peace. And here's what shalom means, that the well-being of their mind, their heart, and their body is assured in him, and it changes everything. Thomas, first time that Jesus comes, he's not there. He comes back. His rational mind says, absolutely not. I know what the definitions of this shadow look like. It's death. It's not good. Everything I thought I was heading toward, I'm looking for a disaster. It's heading my way. Unless I see his hands and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Jesus appears to Thomas in his doubt, not trying to argue the empty tomb, beloved. He's not taking out the latest laws of apologetics. But what does he proclaim? Peace. Be with you. The well-being of your mind, your heart, and your body is me, and it changes everything. Peter, John 21, even though he's encountered Christ, most believe, and I believe it to be true, that he's being informed by his shame and his failure in denying Jesus, and he returns to fishing. Jesus appears to the disciples, and when Peter says, oh, it's the Lord, he hops out of the boat, runs to the seashore. And Jesus invites him to a meal by a fire. Oh, wait, right by a fire. The last time he was by a fire, he had denied Jesus, and all of those smells and all those senses were being awakened. And is Jesus arguing with him? You remember I told you. Now, are you going to believe me? And he's, he's not even arguing about the victory over the grave. He's simply inviting Peter back to love. Do you love me? And it changes everything. Beloved, the power of the resurrection is the God who brings good news to our hearts in the midst of the shadows of the stories of our life, the ones that are informing us of, of grief, of fear, doubt, shame, brokenness. And the message of the resurrection is love has conquered 
And see, what, here's what happens. What we become so convinced of, that, that can't happen. All of a sudden, the impossible is possible because Jesus has met me in the shadows. And my life being surrendered to the power of heaven means that the power of heaven can be revealed to me in real time. The power of the resurrection is not so much just so that we can say we've been forgiven of sin and we have a promise of heaven. It's that actually that the power of sin to put boundary lines around us has been broken off. Good news, beloved, isn't it? So what if, what if we see what we see as impossible is just our need to catch up with Jesus? So just the one story. Let me point to the one, okay? I, don't, I won't try to take the time to go through all of them, but let me, let me just point to one. Thomas. Lest I see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger in his hands, I'll not believe. And, and Thomas, uh, you know, doubting Thomas, that's what we've historically, the church has often said about him. But I'm wondering, what if that's not the whole story? And it isn't. It's just the place where he started. And Jesus meets him right where he was. Oh, that's good news. The end of his story? Thomas's story is stunning. He dies in India. The apostle, of all the apostles, he's considered the most evangelistic. He goes the farthest. He takes the message of the gospel to India. He's buried there today in uh, just outside of Madras. Uh, he died as a martyr, watched us with five spears being run through his body. That doesn't sound like much of a doubter, does it? In fact, in India, he's referred to as confessing Thomas. My Lord and my God. Why? Because that wasn't the definition of his story. That was just the beginning when the resurrection came and encountered him. And this is where the message of the gospel is good news for us because we've all got starting places. We've all got places where our stories have cast these shadows over our lives. Beloved, I want to proclaim this. The power of the resurrection says that's the starting point. Grief. Failure. Sadness. Doubt. Shame. They can cast incredibly long shadows. But, beloved, the resurrection proclaims that's just the beginning point. Jesus comes into a garden and whispers Mary's name. He comes into a room. Oh, wait a minute. Have you ever thought about that room? Why were they at this house and what house was it? Remember the house that Jesus said, go to that house and prepare the meal? And right before that meal that Mary came and anointed Jesus and the room was filled with this anointed oil, I mean, it was unmistakable. This is the place where they had shared their last meal together. That's the room that they were in with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. And he appears. And, and, and then he comes 
and he prepares a meal for Peter over a bed of you know, coals by the Sea of Galilee. Beloved, if this is where we are, I just want to say the stories of our lives are the starting point, the starting point of the power of the resurrection to reveal the real story of our whole life. What if, and I believe it isn't just a what if, what if there's a fifth element? You know, Einstein used to read a book called Two-Dimensional World, a world in which everything was in two dimensions, and then a three-dimensional creature enters into that world, and suddenly someone is able to do the miraculous. God moving in and out of our life, revealing a whole other realm is not difficult for him because he's not bound by our dimensions. See, the place where eternal love transforms and tells a whole new story, where the impossible becomes possible, where the doors that are locked in my life don't stop him. See, when, when, when we begin to say, oh, wait a minute, maybe this could be the beginning point. How about if we would join Jesus? I don't know what the shadows are for all of us. But what if we join Jesus and just not judge it as good or bad? Impossible, can't ever change. And just allow him to show up. And when he stands in the midst of those places, well, for Mary, for the disciples, for Thomas, for Peter, in grief, in fear, in doubt, in shame, he proclaims life, hope, peace. He breathes what he is into their very being. And I love, I love, I love, I love. Beloved, you know, we, we often talk about, you know, the need to, Jesus didn't stand in any of those situations to say, now, you know, do I need to remind you about the cross? He just meets them where they are. So, beloved, I, I, the invitation this morning is, how about if we just take a deep breath and let him fill and enliven us? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone and the new has come. Lord, you can unlock doors. You can meet us in all the places where there are shadows and boundaries, and suddenly the impossible becomes possible. The power of the present Christ to meet us in grief, fear, sorrow, sadness, shame, failure, that's the power of the good news. You know, one last thing I want to say about Thomas. This is a stunning theological thought. Risen Christ still bears wounds. The wounded God and the wounded world touch. Thomas, touch my hand. That's a stunning theological thought. That sharing our woundedness, he takes from us doubt, fear, and brings us to faith and trust. And love that brings us to joy. To peace. 
for our mind, our heart, and our body. The resurrection makes the impossible possible. I want to invite you to share in a closing prayer with me and then bring us to the table. And it's a little bit of a little bit of a longer prayer, but I want to invite you to stand and let's pray this together. Ready? And then we'll just come to the table. And if you came prepared to give, we're gonna be we're gonna say thank you. We're grateful for that. But um, let's let's pray this prayer. I just by the way, I just came across this prayer this morning. Uh, so it's just so stunning. Here we go. Stand in our midst again today. Enter the circle of our fears. Penetrate the darkness of our doubts. Meet us where we are. May we listen your song, Shalom. May we listen your song, Shalom. Peace. Wait a second. Yeah, that's how it's worded, isn't it? Uh, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. May we see your hands and your side. May we feel the warmth of your holy breath softening the hardened clay from whence we come. Invited, curious like a little child, we place our trembling hands not only in your wounds, but on ours too, and on the lovely brokenness of others. Breathing in forgiveness, breathing out forgiveness. Wounds becoming the sacred place of mutual compassion and the springboard to an intimate song of communion and possibility. Crafted in the heart of the Lord, our God. Amen. Amen. Lord, we come to this table this morning. And we we just say, Lord, we thank you for the power and the wonder. We say, Lord, thank you for your body given for us and your blood shed for us.